0: As the children go out, it reminds me of some of the first prayers that I learned as, as a child. Two of them really come to mind. One was that we said every time we sat down to eat. I was, I was taught to say it over the meals. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for this food. Some of you may have learned that. Uh, I know now there's you know the, the blessing is often sung at the table. The other one I used or was, was learned as a child and remember very well is the prayer at bedtime. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. In hindsight, I look back and go, why didn't I get the part about dying? Uh, Yeah, I was, but here, here's what I learned. First of all, I learned that prayer was part of our family and that's important. So no matter how it is that you're teaching your kids to pray, that's a great lesson for them to learn. But there was a Unintended consequence, I think, also. Something that I learned that my parents really didn't intend to teach me, it just happened. For me, it was that prayer belonged at a certain time of your day and at a certain place. Prayer was kind of left for nighttime at the bedside. Or prayer was left for uh, mealtime. Or prayer was something that happened in Sunday school and in church. And it took some maturity on my part and growing up on my part and a better understanding of of what prayer was to kind of break out of that. That prayer wasn't isolated to a certain time or isolated to a certain place. But that prayer was a lot bigger. As I grew older, I came to understand that prayer is God's abiding presence with me, listening to my words and even more importantly listening to my heart, that prayer was God speaking to me through His Spirit and God guiding me through His Word. In other words, prayer was not something to be segmented, but prayer was something to be fully integrated into every part of my life. Life, some of you come to understand that and to appreciate that truth in your own life, as breathing is to the human body. So prayer is to the soul. We need it. It's not optional. It's not an add-on. It's the motor in the engine. It's the wheels that keep us in contact with the road. It's the steel cage around us to protect us from all. It is the windshield that enables us to see. Prayer is, truthfully, for the believer. Prayer is everything. And once we have isolated it and, and limited it and boxed it up, we fail to understand what prayer really is. Here's, here's what Paul said about it. He said, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, you need to understand that rejoicing and praying and giving thanks, that's all prayer, right? And how we're told to do it how much? All the time. We're to rejoice Always, we're to pray continually. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now listen, whenever you are reading through Scripture and you find something that says this is God's will for you, you may want to highlight it, underline it, and memorize it. Because this is telling you something that among all the truths in Scripture, don't miss this. This is God's will for you, and you, and you, and you. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Which leads us this morning to our core value. And our core value is this. There is much we can do after we pray, but there's nothing worth doing until we pray. In other words, what we're saying here is that prayer is essential. Prayer is for us foundational. Prayer keeps our lives properly aligned with the will of God. Prayer guides us when we are surrounded by doubts and confusion and it opens up before us limitless possibilities through the power and the will of our gracious Father. I like what Max Lucado said about it. He said, our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. I was talking with someone the other day who told me, I don't feel like my prayers get out of the room. And I was able to say, the good news is they don't have to. Because God's promised never to leave you. He's right there. And so we need to understand our prayers are not in the power of the words we use, not in our eloquence, or it's not in how loudly we pray or how softly we pray. It's not whether we pray in a public setting like this or in the privacy of our own home. That is not where the power comes from. Prayer has literally no more power than an unplugged lamp on its own. There's a power source behind it. And that is the God who hears it and who is able to respond to it. And so, my desire this morning is to ask and answer one simple question. That question is why pray? Why pray? Let's ask the Lord to help us to understand that a little bit this morning. Father God, we come to you and we thank you, first of all, that you desire to speak to us, that you have a heart that inclines itself to us. And Lord, as we come now to think about prayer, how essential prayer is, would you help us to understand and apply your word, to appreciate the fact that you're always with us and you're always attentive to us. If even a billion people are speaking at once to you, Lord, you hear us as if we're the only person around. Father, each of us would probably confess that we don't pray enough. Certainly not as much as we ought to. Lord, this morning I pray that we would think less about how much we ought to pray and begin to think more about how much we want to pray. In other words, Lord, we ask that you would use the power of your word and your spirit to change our hearts. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We want to move this fa- through this fairly quickly this morning, but I-, I want to give you four answers to that question, why pray? And the first answer is this, because we have a dangerous enemy. We have a dangerous enemy. Let me share with you two scriptures Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And and then Peter reminds us, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now here's the deal. Here's what I want you to get. I want you to give some serious reflection and thought to this, especially, especially where we are in our nation now and with the battle lines that have been drawn between people because of an election. We need to hear this. Our enemy is not another person. Our enemy is not another group. Our enemy is not another party. Our enemy is not another organization. That's not what we're being told in this scripture. Even when people act in ways to confront us and even to assault us, they are not ultimately our enemy. We need to peel back the curtain and know that there's someone else pulling strings. Now, does that mean... Well, I don't exert any effort. I don't need to go vote. I don't need to, I don't need to voice any opinions. I just need to be meek and mild and gentle and go hide in a corner somewhere until Jesus comes back. No, not what I'm saying at all. We do have a, an obligation a responsibility to stand for what is true and right, to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to stand for justice. The Bible says, let justice roll down like a river, and we are part of that. But here's what I'm trying to say, and I want you to hear this very quickly or very well. The real war is in the spiritual realm, not the physical where we fight the least, where we put up the least resistance, is where the real battle is. We fight skirmishes on Facebook. We wage guerrilla warfare through getting angry, fuming, fussing. We stress over the sorry state of our world and nation but have we prayed about it? I'm not saying this to accuse anybody. I am not. I don't want to use God's word as a, a, a hammer to bludgeon you at all. What I want to say is, have we spent as much time and energy praying as we have expended in our anger and our striving in the physical world? Why am I asking that question? Because, we have a dangerous enemy. And sometimes you and I are fighting on the wrong front. God says our battle is not against flesh and blood. But that's where we tend to fight. Prayer is important because it takes the battle to the enemy. It's not going to be one on Facebook, it's not going to be one on Twitter. Prayer is important because condemnation and confrontation are ineffective weapons in the real world. Our enemy is Satan and the hordes of hell and our fiercest weapon, the one that causes our enemy to tremble. It's prayer. Thanksgiving. Rejoicing, worshiping the Word of God and knowing our standing in Christ. Just what you heard this morning. I am a child of the one true King. I am a child of the Lord, of the host of heavens, the captain of the army of angels. That's the side I'm on. And that's where the battle will be won or lost. Franklin Graham is right to tell us not to cast all ourselves on this party or that party because America's only hope and in fact the world's only hope is in God. Let us make sure that we're fighting the right enemy with the right weapons, and that we're giving it our best effort, for you and I are in the army of God. So why? Why pray? Because we have a very dangerous enemy. Let's just remember who the enemy is. Secondly, why pray? Because unity in a diverse group is challenging. Some of you have discovered that, haven't you? Imagine, if you would, that you know in the next couple hours that everybody that you thought was your friend turned their back on you? Imagine if you knew that in just just a little while, just, just a few hours, you were going to face the most excruciating death possible. What would be going through your mind? Well, let me tell you what was going through Jesus' mind as He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because we don't have to guess at it. John chapter 17 tells us exactly what was going through His mind, what was on His heart, and what He was praying. And part of that prayer in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21 says this. My prayer, Jesus says, is not for them alone, that is, the the disciples. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So who would that be? That's us. He's praying for us. This is His prayer for you and for me, for His church. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have Sent me. Imagine that. I am always blown away when I read through John chapter 17 that in the shadow of the cross, with it, i mean, it's just just looming just over the horizon for Jesus, that all he would face, not only in the physical abuse and rejection in the crucifixion, but the carrying of the weight of the sin of the world on himself on that cross that in light of all of that what jesus would pray forth for us is that we would be one why because he knew just how difficult it was look what he put together he brought around him 12 men these rough fishermen a tax collector and one whom the roman authorities considered a terrorist One who would betray Him. Another who would deny Him. And others who would abandon Him. This is the group He brought together. What in the world was He thinking? This is a recipe for disaster. Not the way to birth a church. And yet, that's what He did. He brought them together and this is what He told them. A new command I give you, love one another. Hey, Simon, the zealot. I've seen the way you're eyeing Matthew, the tax collector over there, because he was a collaborator, and you're not. As a matter of fact, you've killed guys like him before. And yet, here you are sitting right across the table from each other. A new command I give you. Guys, love one another. As I have loved you, I'm the example. So I've loved you, so you must love one another. And listen, this is what's going to happen. By this, your love for one another, this incredible love amidst all this diversity and even conflict at times, this incredible love, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you follow me. Why? If you love one another. That's going to be the sign. That's what people are going to see. That's what people are going to be looking at. That's how they'll know you belong to me. Because even though you shouldn't be able to get along, even though you should be at each other's throats, even though everything should just absolutely fall apart, this is a recipe for disaster, even so you love one another. And let let me tell you, the early church quickly went from being a small group of Jewish believers to including Samaritans who hated the Jews and were hated by the Jews, and Gentiles who were completely unclean as far as the Jews were concerned. Add to that slaves and free people, men and women, rich and poor, soldiers, politicians, craftsmen, homemakers, and beggars. What a mixed bag. But what brought them together, what united them, was greater than anything that could divide them that they belong to Jesus. And that's what unites us. If if, If Jesus chose to call upon His Father and to pray earnestly, seeking unity among us, how important should it be to us? Think about that. Most people, we look for ways to divide up into groups, don't we? By age or by race or by social standing, by habits, likes, dislikes. We find ways to kind of to group up and divide up. It, it's natural. That's, that's natural. That's the way the natural man, the natural woman thinks. This, this is supernatural. This is something only God can do. And what I want you to do is I want you to stop right now, wherever you are. If you're in the back, you've got it easy. If you're in the front, it's going to take you a little more effort. I just want you to look around. Go ahead. Turn around. It's okay. Turn your head. Look. See who's around you. Every one of these people in here, every single one is different than you. There's some of you in here who are Florida fans and some of you are Georgia fans. Don't say anything. I know it. I could tell when you came through the door this morning which was which. But what brings us together, what unites our hearts and our lives, is so much greater than those small things that break us apart. Bigger than Florida, Georgia. Some of us are Republicans, and some of us are Democrats, and some of us are unregistered as independents. May even have a few libertarians in here. Might have a Green Party, I don't know. I'm for the Carolina Blue Party, but we don't get many votes around here. Quite frankly, if you belong to Jesus, I may disagree with who you vote for, but you are my brother or sister in Christ. And if we let politics divide us, then we've missed the boat. Because if Jesus could bring together Simon the Zealot and and Matthew the tax collector and say, Father, make them one. Not just one, that they're in the same room without killing each other, one. But just as you are in me and I am in you, so let them be in us in perfect unity. Let's be careful. Why pray? Because unity's hard. It's hard but it's worth it because it's part of our witness to the world. So that people could look at us and go, you mean they go to church together? Yeah. See how they love one another. See how they serve alongside each other. See how they sing with their voices raised, the same songs and worship the same Savior and join in the same mission. Third, why pray? Because our mission is beyond our ability. Some of the stuff Jesus told His disciples must have absolutely blown their little minds. Listen, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to His disciples, You will be My witnesses in all Judea, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um... Jesus, could you run that by me again? You do realize that I have never been farther than 30 or so miles from my home. And you're telling me that that I am to take this gospel not only to Jerusalem, okay, I get that, and Judea, okay, it's a little bit further to walk, but I can handle that. But I'm supposed to go over the border into Samaria... You do realize what kind of people are over there, right, Jesus? I'm supposed to go over there and take the gospel there, and then I'm supposed to take it beyond Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus, do you have any idea exactly how far that is? Do you know how much time that would take, how much energy that would take? We don't speak their language. We don't have much in common with them at all. And what you're saying is that we're to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Here's what you probably heard back then. I wasn't there. Dun, 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 dun. Some of you get that. Mission impossible. That can't be done. That's an impossible mission that you are giving to us. What we read in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. Jesus, what are you giving us? He was giving us a mission that was absolutely and completely impossible in our strength and in our wisdom. thats He knew exactly what He was giving us. If we could do it ourselves, it wouldn't be a big deal. But if we're doing it through Him, then it's a huge deal, and He gets the glory. Nobody's going to say, oh man, What a great plan you had, Jimmy. You had a plan. You had a strategy. You mapped it all out. You had the airline tickets already booked up. You had me going here and them going there. And you had a great plan to take the gospel to everybody. Not me. As a matter of fact, I don't know anybody, including Billy Graham in his prime, who could himself have done this, or whose organization could have done this, or who could have organized all this. If it happens, and believe me, it will happen. For this gospel will be preached to all nations, and then He will return. It's going to happen, but it's not going to happen because some smart guy in Nashville, Tennessee at Lifeway figured it out. It's going to happen because the gospel wins. The gospel wins. And when God gets a hold of our hearts and motivates us to pray and to give and go, it's going to happen. It was that call of Jesus, that impossible mission that He gave us that helped us to craft and design our mission statement And I want you to read it with us. We've been doing that. If you'll remember the last few weeks, we're going to keep doing that. Would you put our mission statement up there? Here's our mission. Would you read it with me? Grace Fellowship exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. You and I can no longer... We can no more fulfill that mission than we could go out and drain the oceans or flatten the mountains. We can't do this. But with God, all things are possible. So That's what we're, we're told in Matthew 19. With man, Jesus said, this is impossible. But with God, there's nothing that's impossible. Jesus concluded the Great Commission with these words, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I want to tell you, a lot of times we think of prayer as as these words that we're speaking. But I want to to help you understand that prayer is something a little bit different. We cannot pray continually until we are aware continually of the presence of God with us. Listen, listen, you need to hear this. You go, pray continually. Whoa, 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 back it up here. Does that mean I've got to be at the church all the time? Does that mean I have to go around on my knees all the time? No. It means you need to be constantly aware of the presence of God. There will will be nothing that will change your prayer life. Not even disaster. Nothing that will change your life. Like being aware of the abiding presence of God with you every moment of every day. Then, when you sing that song, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, along life's, what way? Okay. It, it, that's, you'll be able to understand it. That's what that song means. I'm aware that He's with me. I'm not having to go to where He is. I'm not having to get in this particular posture for Him to hear me. I'm not having to wait till nighttime or, oh, I say lunch is in two hours, then, then He'll listen. No. It's His abiding presence. Why pray? Because we have a dangerous enemy. Why pray? Because unity in a diverse group is challenging. Why pray? Because our mission is beyond our ability. We'll only do it as we're connected intimately with God. And finally, why pray? Because we're not alone in the mission. And I wanted to particularly add this because I think it's important for us to hear this. We often think of prayer as something that is intimate and even private. And in many ways that it is. There there are things that you would tell no human being that you will go and you will pour out before God and that is right and good and I encourage you to do that Jesus said to go into your closet to go into your private place where you can pray to him just one on one you need that you need it you need it you need it but even though prayer can be and should be intimate and personal and sometimes even private the scriptures tell us that an incredible thing happens when God's people come together to pray not magic, but there's something, there's something in God's economy that makes it different. Jesus said to his disciples again, I truly tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Let me tell you, and I, I'm a pastor, and so I can do this. As a pastor. I have used and abused this verse. When we've had an event or something and we're expecting a crowd and only a handful of people show up, where do we go? This is the verse. Well, you know, where two or three are gathered, we throw that out. And what we're saying is, well, you know, this isn't what we planned, but you know, we're here, so we're going to keep moving. That's not what this verse is talking about. What this verse is telling us is not only do you need to be praying Privately in your prayer closet, in your devotional time, but there is something that God wants that only takes place when we come together to pray. We're to pray with one another. And one of the things I'm excited about for 2017 is among our priorities for next year are missions, evangelism, and prayer. And we're going to be calling all of you not only to pray privately but to join together to pray. There's power in that, that we can't tap any other way. And we're not only to pray with one another, the Bible tells us we're to pray for one another. In James chapter 5, therefore confess your sins to each other. And we're going to take some time at the end of the service for you to do that. Okay. Is Is he serious? You do need, listen, you do need to have someone in your life, a brother or sister, that you can do this with. A Small group that you can do this with. Where you can go to them and honestly say, I've blown it again. I've asked God to forgive me for this a thousand times. And I thought it was behind me. I thought it was gone. But I've blown it again. If you do not have someone like that in your life, I beg you, you need it. You need it. I've got a couple of pastors that I'm able to do this with, that I can be completely open and transparent about the things that I'm struggling with, knowing that it's not going to get in the church newsletter the next week. They're not going to share it with anybody else. It's just between us. And they have the same ability to do that with me. Confess your sins to one another, we're told. And pray for each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And it goes beyond physical healing. I've got to tell you, there's some wounds that are a whole lot deeper than skin deep. And we need to be praying for each other, not only for physical healing, but for emotional healing and spiritual healing because we've got some wounded people sitting right here today. And we're told that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess to each other. Pray for one another. Prayer is intimate and personal, but it's also something we share. And when our hearts and our voices are lifted in unity, it doesn't force the hand of God to do anything. Instead, together we touch the heart of God who longs to express His power and His mercy through His church. Prayer is not the special sauce on the burger. Prayer is the foundation of everything we do. Prayer is the mortar that holds our lives together. Prayer is the covering above us that provides the protection from evil that we need and and the light that we need for our journey. Prayer is the work of the Holy Spirit in us and in His church. We don't have to force it to happen, but we have to want it to happen. Can I say that again? When it comes to prayer... You don't have to force it to happen, but you have to want it to happen. Because here's what I promise you. What you want in your life, you do. Am I right? What you want, you find a way to do it. I want Krispy Kreme. Some of you know that. Can I get an amen? Okay. If I want Krispy Kreme, I have to go get it. And there are times the craving is such that with or without a coupon, even if the hot light's not on, I'm stopping there. I'm going there. Why? Because I want it. What you want, you'll make happen. And so instead of trying to force it into your life, go to God and say, God, I don't want it right now, but I want to want it. Let that be your prayer. Prayer. Go to God and say, listen, God, prayer is hard for me. It is difficult for me. I'm I'm busy and and I keep forgetting. And I mean to set my alarm a little bit earlier, but somehow I keep accidentally hitting the snooze button four times. God, I confess to You I don't want it, but I want to want it. I want to want to pray. You and I must both leave room in our lives for prayer and make room in our lives for prayer. And I, I guarantee you this, you will continue to grow spiritually as long as you continue to pray. And if you stop praying, you'll wither. Occasionally we'll have some flowers, cut flowers that come in the house or come into church. They look good for a while. They're sucking up a little bit of water and they're trying to hang on. They're not going to live long. Somebody snipped it. No longer has that source of life coursing through it. And that may describe your life today. And so here's the challenge I want to leave with you today. Let us begin to open ourselves to the possibility that prayer can be more and to the expectation that it will be more in our lives, in our family, in our small groups, in our church. Think about what is possible. What God can make happen in your life and through your life in His church. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank You for this Word. It's uh, both challenging and intimidating really lord some of us here today have a vibrant prayer life some of us some of us were on a mountaintop last week and this week we feel like we're in a valley some of us have spent some time in that oasis of your presence and, and we know the joy and the vitality of it but we also know that the dryness of those desert times Some of us, Lord, want to want to pray. And some of us, Lord, have given up on it. Lord, I'm so grateful that even though we give up sometimes, You never give up on us. And that even today, that desire to spend time with You can be rekindled. And so, Lord, we ask that by Your Spirit, You would rekindle that in us. Lord, for those who don't know You, if they need Jesus, would You draw them to You? For those who need a church home, a place where they can belong, begin to grow, begin to become what You've created them to be, Lord, if You're drawing them here, let us welcome them and rejoice with that decision. For those who simply need to come, Lord, and ask You honestly to confess that they don't have a passion for prayer, And I ask, Lord, that you would provide what they lack. Lord, let this be a holy time of confession, repentance, and renewal. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.